what are the environmental public health factors that cause this to keep happening? How do we reduce those factors to make things safer? Advertising is the obvious one. And, you know, it's hard, football index, it's hard not, because it's such a close to home example. It's hard not to see a, a direct connection to to people in Nottingham walking around with that on their shirts in their tens of thousands, including children. Hello and welcome to the Invisible Addiction podcast. If you're a new listener, hi, thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to this episode. And of course, if you're a long time listener of the podcast, I hope you've been keeping well. Shortly, we'll be hearing from a Labour MP and hearing his views on how to make gambling safer. But before we go any further, I'd like to make a short disclaimer and say that this is an informational podcast. If you're experiencing gambling problems, of course, I hope you relate to the stories you hear, but please do seek professional help. Links to that support can be found on the Invisible Addiction website, www.theinvisibleaddiction.com forward slash support. Right, without further ado, let's crack on with the podcast. Okay, so joining us on the other end of the line today is the Shadow Minister of State for Public Health and Patient Safety in the UK. He's come onto the Invisible Addiction podcast to give his perspective on gambling from a public health point of view. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome the Nottingham North Labour MP, Alex Norris, onto the show. Alex, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, Alex. Thanks for having me. I hope everybody uh, watching and listening is, is well too during these very strange times. No, thank you very much. Um, we're going to get straight into it. Um, what's more important to the government, gambling taxation money or public health? Well, I, I mean, this, you know, obviously I'm in opposition, so I, don't, I generally don't have very much to say about, good to say about the government. Uh, I think government, you know, do, do want, you know, public health to be the priority but they're really good at talking about it and not very good at making it, the, making it the reality. So what we've seen now for eight years is eight years of public health cuts. Um, dog squeaking on his toy, sorry, next to me. <laughs> so the, the, the problem with this government is it's not so much what they say, it's what they do that you've got to look at. Sure, sure, sure. Just touching on your dogs there, is it, is it your Border Collies that you've got there? Yeah, two Border Collies. I might just take the toy off, Boomer. Sorry, mate. You'll have to forgive me. Oh, he's trying to fight me for it. There's only one winner there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. uh, so what is the difference? I mean, for people that don't know, I mean, what's the difference between, say, health and public health? Right, OK, well, health is, is kind of everything. So, you know, when, when we talk about health, people think about the National Health Service. So hospitals, doctors, that sort of thing. When we're talking about public health, we're talking more about the things that, that kind of make us unwell and make us need those sort of services. So whether that's, um, whether that's drugs and alcohol, gambling addiction, smoking, um, smoking, unhealthy weight, those sort of things, those are public health issues. So my role is, is you know, set loan party policy amongst co alongside colleagues around how to make those kind of proactive interventions that might improve public's uh, the public's health and therefore not need the health services at all because we'd much rather that so that that's that's the difference there yeah great stuff great stuff now i've i've, I've started my podcast wrong already regular listeners will be thinking but you usually ask what about your background and experience so so alex <laughs> would you like to i apologize there so um would you like to kind of kick us off and just how did you get into politics 
Yeah. Well, I said straight into the grilling. That's that's yeah. Nick Robinson. I had I had Nick Robinson on seven fifteen last Saturday morning, and it was straight into the grilling. I thought Nick, you could just you know we could have maybe eased in with a soft one, but I quite like that. Uh, so yeah, so I'm I'm so I'm a member of Parliament. I represent my community where I live in, in the north bit of Nottingham, um, and you know I'm I'm given responsibility by Keir Starmer as part of a health team and doing the public health aspects. Um, health's been a big part of my my life. Prior to I've been elected to Parliament three and a bit years ago, I was um, the health lead on my council for a number of years. I also worked for Unison, which is a trade union that works in the health sector. So for me, health and public health have been a big part of my my career, my life and my interest. And that's kind of how I found myself here. I was going to say, um, I saw that you'd uh, campaigned uh, for safer uh, sta- was it safe standing in football? Um, I know that you're a big Man City supporter. Was uh, you said it was bad for the atmosphere? Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 you, you get to Parliament and you've got this whole world of issues. Every foreign policy issue you could think about, every home affairs issue, every health issue, and if you try to do everything, you do nothing. So you try and kind of focus on a few things. And and for me, I had particular interest in tackling domestic abuse. I think you know may, men have a really responsible place in that uh, in leadership around that very interested in modern slavery and then particularly around safe standing because it's something that people in, in my city had talked a lot about uh, at Nottingham Forest and also my background of going to city because frankly everyone knows anyone listening to this podcast knows that if you go to an away game you stand so there's standing at football already you also know that you score a big goal you end up three rows in front of you and it's not a very good thing and you know there'll be moments maybe Aguero 2011 2011-2012, the Aguero goal ended up a long way away. I mean, dick off Wembley 99 ended up a long way away from where I originally was. And it's not a very good state of affairs. I don't think it's as fun. Um, so I'm hoping, you know, we've made some real progress with, with the government on this uh, around having safe standing models, which of course work in Germany, they would work at Celtic Park. Um, and I would love to see that rolled out in, in, in England. I think that'd be better for the game. I think that'd be better for people's enjoyment. So yeah, it's a different kind of health issue, but one I think is really important. Yeah, no, I was, um, I'm a Bournemouth fan for my, for my sins. And uh, yeah, we've had a few um, Man City links in the past. I think Mel Machin um, was... Mel Machin, yeah. Being one of them, being one of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talking about football, I mean, it's been hot, hot in the press this week about Football Index and, uh, and such like. Um, with your links to Nottingham and, uh, well, Nottingham Forest being sponsored by Football Index, uh, what, what are your thoughts on the whole situation? The whole thing's really, really scary. And I say that in a way that I would, very few things scare me. You know, very few things actually surprise you in politics. You see it all. This was really scary. I mean, I'd had an interest in football index in the sense that they're shirt sponsors at Forest. So, you know, I I watch certainly nowadays in in lockdown, I basically, I I watch every Forest game online. And, but I'd, I'd never really looked at the product. And, I have to say my instinct was I, I didn't think it was a gambling product. I wouldn't, I, I remember thinking as recently as probably a couple of months ago, oh, well, you know, if we, if we get into shirt sponsorship banning, which I think we almost certainly will do, I wonder whether that covers football index or not. And then this week, because, you know, at the, at the time of recording football index, obviously have had that big change to their dividends, which has caused real, you know, real anxiety to, to people on the platform. Gone into administration subsequently. They've had the license literally about half an hour ago. The license suspended. Um, you know that that it's that this is a gambling product, and you know you. I also didn't know as well. I um, 
you know, in, in sort of doing my reading around it, I, that there's this real, I, I don't know how I miss this, I'm normally really good on kind of cultural issues, but there's this massive subculture on Twitter of, you know, of people for whom their handles are FI, all of them got FI or football index, such and such. You know, there's a really big culture of this, of people who thought they were traders on a platform, just as, you know, you'd think you were if you were trading kind of, um, you know, stock market shares. And, you know, they're now kind of in three places. There's a group of people whose losses have been crystallized and are now coming to terms with, with that, which is really significant. There's a group of people who are really, really angry. Um, and there's a group of people who still think that this might turn a corner yet. And that, oh, we you know, if we just expand into the Bundesliga, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you know, I dare say when, when this is released, we'll know an awful lot more. And, you know, some of the reporting and some of the concerns around, you know, and these are only allegations at this point, but dividends being paid from the investments of others, that, you know, again, is startling stuff. And, you know, just looking at some of the videos from the founders, guarantee, you know, saying guaranteed yield across the market, you know, tweeting how Zlatan Ibrahimovic has given a better return than the Bank of England over the last year. This, you know, whatever they, you know, whatever you say, this was a gambling product that was marketed not, very clearly not as a gambling product. And there are going to be profound questions about how that was licensed and allowed to continue to license. And, you know, and I say this as someone who did too, how this was missed, you know, mm -hmm. by a lot of people who should have known better. And, and that kind of shows where we are in the market at the moment. This is a market that, you know, has all sorts of, of certainly because of the online elements to it, is metamorphosizing in all sorts of ways in a way that we need to keep up with, which is why obviously the review is important. It's why the online harms bill is important because we've got to catch up. But as I say, my first instinct is quite startling. And, and there are a number of people who are clearly in a very serious position. And, and again, so I'm, I'm going on a bit too long, Alex, but it's, you know, it's, it is such interesting stuff. You know, reading stuff, posts that people have put on their message board saying, mm, I'm mm. taking out loans to, mm. to invest in this platform mm. because they didn't think they could lose. And they kind of thought, well, the platform's only going to grow anyway because more and more people are going to want to do this. And we're in at, the, we're in at the, the low level. So even if we don't make particularly brilliant strategic decisions within the platform, the platform will grow and grow our investment anyway. And mm. that should give us all real, you know, really cause for significant concern. Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that. Uh, my brother has been completely hooked into this uh, 21 years of age uh, took out a massive loan the banks couldn't wait oh, to give him give him a loan and uh, he rung me up actually this weekend and I could just tell straight away by the tone of his voice something drastic was up I actually thought that you know he'd split up with his girlfriend or, or, or yeah. you know whatever but um, I had real concerns he said he, he felt suicidal um, wow. that this is a serious issue like you say people have been been sort of sucked into it and uh yeah uh, the, the 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 kind of the marketing around it i again didn't think it was gambling it was it, you know i know it's regulated by the gambling commission but it's the 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 use of like stocks trades um such like his his whole world has been kind of ripped apart um he he feels like a complete utter failure do you do you agree that there's a high suicide risk now amongst um football index users well i mean I, I don't know that but what i do know is that from what people are saying online that's how they're feeling so mm. that should be something we're really concerned about um you know this is fundamentally everything we're talking about today alex is a men's you know is a men's health issue we know what what is the greatest risk 
to you know we're, we're, we're similarish age i'm a little bit older than you but what is the biggest risk to our health what is it that's most likely to kill us it's it's death by suicide and the, this is a big trigger for that so you know men's health isn't something we talk about very lot certainly younger men's health you know this is exactly kind of why this is important why i think it was important to come on your podcast why i think your podcast is important in general to give us that kind of spark to reach out to each other but also to say that services that are provided have to be pitched at people like us who are under pressures like this to try and avert you know something like that happening Mm, absolutely i mean i'm sure we'll come on to talk about um that you know like you mentioned the onlineness uh the online products and such like and the harms and also the gambling app review i'm sure we'll kind of weave in and out and stuff but um with with let's talk about lockdown briefly i mean with millions of people in the uk finding themselves with increased amount of of time at home uh, amounts of time at home because of lockdown many without jobs and easy access to gambling uh, from a mobile phone in which it only takes 12 seconds to place a bet do you agree that lockdown is a breeding ground for gambling addiction well i mean it's going to be this will be the source of things that we're going to study for years and years i mean i, I, don't, I think the early evidence doesn't suggest that things have you know massive that people's behaviors have massively changed but that there has been an increase and you know things like people have been going back to online poker which perhaps they haven't been doing for for some time so things will have changed here i think for sure i think about my own behaviors certainly you know i i, I don't think i'd ever put a bet on the bundesliga prior to this but the bundesliga opened up before everybody everyone else so of course you thought you know suddenly you're more interested in fc Colm than you'd ever have been before so certainly behaviors have changed um, you know, lockdown will have changed lots of things and the way in which we re-emerge from it and that kind of feel-good factor as people get back to normal again, there's a risk around that that people start, you know, that you get really, really excited and start doing things you didn't. I mean, the, the most important thing for me in gambling, or one of the most important things is, and you know, this I'm an enthusiast of bookies and the bookies part of, of a community, but the best bit about the bookies is they notice when your behaviour changes and they tap you on the shoulder. And in the online space, who notices when your behaviour changes? And that's where the kind of space we've got to get into because lockdown and coronavirus is a behaviour changer for all of us. At the moment, we can't leave our houses properly. And then when we come out, one of the things we're going to want to get back to doing, we're going to want to get back to enjoying ourselves. So those are the sort of things I'm concerned about, really. I would, um, I would politely disagree with your with your with your uh, mention of the bookies tapping on your shoulder. I mean, it never happened to me, and that was where I had. Uh, a, bit, a big problem with with uh, my gambling um, but I do agree with what you say about um, how, how we tackle that online so I guess, I guess the the million pound question million dollar question is how do we make gambling safer well that is it I mean and that's the whole purpose of the, the review the you know I think the events show with football index that our legislation's out of date and that's fine because it was they're written in 2005 so you know, the internet was a thing, but app-based stuff wasn't really at all. Um, we, for me, you know, I, I do the public health end of things. So it's the public health end exists in two spaces. So firstly, how do you help people who have, who have a, a problem? And that's with decent services. At a fundamental level, my basic belief is, you know, very good independent services that are commissioned by an independent um, body that are funded by the industry. I'm pretty happy with that as a pathway, though I'm you know, meeting with lots of groups who want to evolve that 
the thing for me is the key thing is independent at every step in the mm, chain. Mm. You know, I'm perfectly happy for industry to pay for it. And I'm glad that we, you know, we've got more out of the industry during this pandemic, but they obviously should have no say then in, in terms of what those services are. So that's your, that's the kind of immediate level, the, the today problem. The, the thing for me is, and this is something that we do in gambling, but actually we do across British life. You know, we're one of the wealthiest countries in the world with some of the best evolved healthcare services. Um, and that's a really good thing, but it also means that we end up saying, okay, so you've got a broken arm, here's your plaster cast. Okay, you, you're dealing with mental, uh, mental ill health, so here's some talking therapies, here's a prescription. In this case, oh, okay, you, you, you've got an, a, a, uh, an issue with gambling, here's, here's some gambling services, or here's some talking therapies, or here's some group work. Um, and we do that millions and millions of times a week. And we never stop at any point to say, well, hang on a minute, why are we doing it so many times? What are the environmental public health factors that cause this to keep happening? So whether that's, you know, our daily experiences of uh, the advertising we see, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, the, the messages that are fed to us. We have to get to me, we have to get to that next level that says, okay, how do we reduce those factors to make things safer? Advertising is the obvious one. And, you know, it's hard, football index, it's hard not, because it's such a close to home example. It's hard not to see a, a direct connection to, to people in Nottingham walking around with that on their shirts in their tens of thousands, including children. Mm. So that's a big problem. That's something you have to change. And that, that, that seems to me something that's pretty clearly going to come out of the act. Mm. So for me, you know, to answer that question, how do we make things safer? We have to de-escalate those environmental factors that kind of both normalize certainly to, to younger people um, some of these things, but also to those who are on the cusp or, or in, in addiction that mean that you can't escape that relentless barrage. And, you know, I, I'm always very conscious about the emails I get, how many of them are from platforms. And that actually, if you were on the edge or if you traditionally, you know, have been, you've struggled with this before, and you've just had a bad day, what the impact of that is. And, you know, so that's why I want to see out of the act and the, 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 the act review and out of the, the harms bill, de-escalation of all those things. And, you know, that's easy to say and hard to do. But again, we've got, we've got to really centre um, experts by experience on this to say what is it because because I know what it is that pushes me to do things you know I what but but for those you know for, with really lived experience of this what was it that kept pushing you back when you wanted to come out and there'll be you know some of the stuff you read in the newspapers very aggressive examples whether it's you know the so-called VIP experiences that actually didn't seem to be about you know perhaps VIP and and big betters, but are but more likely vulnerable ones. Mm. So those are really obvious things, and I think those can be done quite easily. But what are the broader environmental factors that we're doing that and causing that? And those are the things we've got to get into. I agree with you there. Um, I think we've got to it's sort of like follow the money, as it were, um, and and come up to the top. So I mean, talking about the gambling app review, um, I sort of I, I sort of posed some questions uh, to my followers on Twitter and just said, oh, you know, right. going to be interviewing uh, Alex Norris. Um, one chap, uh, I hope I'm going to get his Twitter handle right, at private 963-75291. There we go. Uh, he says, why have they put someone who was pro-gambling to oversee the Gambling Act review? He can't remember his name, but I will know. It's John Whittingdale. Uh, why have they put him in charge of the Gambling Act review uh, when he has a history of voting against stronger regulation of the industry. There we go. What are your thoughts? Well, he's, he's a government minister. I mean, I, 
my, my strong view would be that he shouldn't be doing it because we should be having a Labour government. But the point at which, you know, people vote for a Conservative government, well, of course, you know, it, the thing is, if you went down the line of, of ministers in that department, they will all have pretty much the same voting record. So that the, the issue I don't think is perhaps the individual, but rather the, the administration. OK, OK. Um, and uh, where are we going to go with this? Where are we going to go? I mean, sticking on the Gambling at Review, Gambling in, at Gambling Insight asks, what is Alex's take on the BGC's uh, Bet and Gaming Council's attempt, attempted politicisation of the Gambling at Review debate in recent days? Do they feel there is a risk? Uh, do they feel there is the risk the standards lobbying body has lost its focus? No, I don't. I, that's not certainly not my experience. Um, I don't think that I don't think BGC have, have politicised it. Um, I think it's a highly politicised space already. You know, this is something that is a parliamentary process, the review fundamentally. So the politics is all all in it. The the thing about it actually is that it cuts across party. There is not a. This is not one of those simple. You know, at the moment we're we're having significant uh, arguments about NHS pay, and that tends to split down party lines. The Labour Party, we think it should be increased. The Tory Party, they don't. Whereas this has many. This cuts across all parties. So I don't think it's politicised any more than it already would be. Um, the key thing for me is, is is two things really. One, as I say we need to find a way to make sure that it isn't just politicians making the, the 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 kind of the setting the weather for the conversation because actually our experiences of betting and gambling are very different to can be very different to the rest of the population so let's make sure we're getting the real view of the experts in into it but secondly and you know this i i, I know how naive i say the sound when i say this and i don't care um, and I know there'll be people who roll their eyes, but sometimes you just have to say this because you, you think it's the right thing to say. I'd like us to get to a less aggressive conversation, particularly in the online space about this, because mm. it is the conversation very quickly can become quite unpleasant. Mm. And I know that these are really important and issues that people have really strong views about. We have to try and find a way to have that conversation without kind of assuming that other people have bad motivations or terrible people. Or if you do think that about them, without then having to shout and swear at them. And, you know, I, I know that that's what social media is to a certain extent, but on something as important as this, if it mm. becomes a tribal issue between those who, you know, don't want particularly much change at all and those who want significant change, then we'll get nowhere at all. So, mm. yeah, that, that's what I kind of hope. Politicisation, we won't be able to avoid. Mm. Being really unpleasant about it, I feel like we've always got a choice about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think um, I think if we can all, uh, maybe I'm an, an, an idealist, can't get my words out, but yeah, mm-hmm. if we could all kind of come together, that would be uh, yeah. surely the best and then, thing. And, and, that, and that's not to say that we're going to agree on everything, but that we can have an evidence-based conversation, both in terms of the quantitative evidence, but also the evidence of people's experiences mm-hmm. and, you know, and have the conversation based on those facts. You've got to be better than kind of just shouting at each other. Mm-hmm. okay no I, I i agree um okay so uh another question this is not well it's slightly related to a to a, a tweet that i got but um in 2019 denise coates the chief executive of bet365 earned 1.3 million pounds for every working day nine and a half thousand times the average uk salary for someone who called for an end to poverty in their first parliamentary speech what are your thoughts on this well, you know, we, we live in a market economy. Now, I have to say, I'm not sure anybody's worth that. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's a lot of, that's a daily, that's a lot of nurses' salaries per day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, 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 the point, of course, that, that, that she would make was that she also pays an awful lot of tax in this country too. Uh, but I don't, at the end of the day, I don't think, you know, wh- whether or not the executives of, of big uh, gambling organisations earn big money or not, I don't think would make a, a, a massive amount of difference to the harm made. Um, so I, I'm more focused at that end that says on a public health basis, what is the harm in this country? What, you know, and how can we set services to, to help those who need it? And what can we do to set a more preventative environment? I think if we just start getting, fighting each other about executive pay, I think, frankly, would be a bit of a sideshow. OK, I mean, talking of um, us, let's let's dive into the, the public health uh part of the conversation i suppose so um do you agree that prevention is better than cure yes we, we, yeah i think it's better for the individual because we'd rather they didn't have to go through a traumatic experience and it's better for the collective because generally it's much cheaper to, to prevention is cheaper than curative services so in principle yes or the problem with that it's often easy to talk about but harder to do yeah absolutely absolutely um i've <laughs> Alex, I'm usually much more conversational, but I've had this sort of this this I've, I've I've only given myself this pressure today, which is like I'm interviewing an MP. I better I better you know do it justice. And at, at the end no, of the day, worry about that. Okay, yeah. thank I'm, you. Yeah, I'm just, <laughs> I'm prob- I think we probably find I'm not that much different to you, to be honest. So no, I'm, no, yeah. no. Yeah. I was gonna yeah, no. I was gonna say I, I just you know suddenly thought of, you know I got to a sort of adopt a Jer- Jeremy Paxman sort of um, stance <laughs> yeah. and all, all, again my regular listeners will be thinking you you've changed dude what's going on what's going on well, you, you, uh, yeah. you, you've already you've already told me you think I'm wrong once so you know keep doing that if you think I am it's, you know and, and listeners will do and my colleagues do sometimes too so yeah <laughs> okay I mean by the way I mean by the way again for the listeners benefit I, I attended the Gamble Aware conference recently and you, you you spoke at the beginning and I just thought yeah this guy is speaking sense i like this guy um let's see if i can get him on the podcast and amazingly you agreed which is which is great for someone that's sat in their spare bedroom um <laughs> recording a podcast uh it sort of never fails to it sort of ceases you know never never ceases to amaze me but um i suppose yeah i suppose let's talk about treatment in a way the thing with gambling addiction is that like not many of us will get treatment um i mean only in 2013 it was kind of classified the same as alcohol and drugs um as it were so and i mean again stats here say that three percent of people with gambling disorder um receive sort of treatment how do we change that figure how do we reduce stigma how do we change that figure in your opinion yeah i mean because because i've seen that number and that really concerns me and if we saw that about anything else any other health condition we'd think, oh, that's a really big problem. Of course, we're not going to resolve things. Or of course, there's going to be a lot of hard calls if, if we can't get people into treatment. I mean, it, and there's, it, for me, there's a couple of things. I mean, first of all, it is a cultural thing and reducing stigma is the number one thing. You know, I, I strongly feel you and I, you know, and certainly I suspect the people who, who tune into your podcast have a responsibility because, you know, the people that we're talking about that are at greatest risk are us you know and they're our friends and they're in our group chats or they're on our on the train with us on our way to an away game and we've got to be able to have conversations about it in a non-judgmental way in a way that supports our friends because we all know that when it gets to the point when it's too late we'd have done anything or we just wish we'd we'd known and we could have done something and you know that's there's 
that just kind of is how it is. So we all have to be braver about it. And I, I say this to myself as much as anybody else about having that conversation with our friends when they see changed behaviours or we see people in a difficult place. And so there's a big men's health conversation in there as a start that we can all be leaders in. And, and as I say, I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to, to, to listeners there. Um, but also it's got to be something on the, you know, that's, that's on the demand side. If we were talking about, you know, if we're talking about running a business, that, that's the demand side for people wanting to use services. But on the supply side, there must be something about the services that mean that actually people don't want to use them. So is it because, you know, by the time you enter the, the national treatment service, you have to have got to, you know, significant crisis levels. Mm. So what is it about what could be those earlier interventions? Mm. You know, I'm a big believer in, um, in peer-to-peer, um, work. I'm a big believer in talking therapies more generally. So, but we know in, the, in this country we don't have a very good regime for talking therapies. We know child and adolescent mental health services are really hard to get into for when people have a mental Ill, mental Ill health in their early stages, and then that can set a lifetime of not really being able to get into services. Um, but we also know when it comes to the peer-to-peer work, which is often the most effective stuff. I've I've no doubt that listening to your podcast you know whether that's true today or not i'm not sure but in general listening to your podcast is a therapeutic intervention for um for your listeners um and Mm. for for those who then follow you online and then talk to other people that'll be a really big part of their ongoing recovery Mm. so how can we promote that and support that because actually we know there's an awful lot of people and great organizations who are doing things on a shoestring and actually they're averting a lot of harm and they could do even more but we've got to support them and rather than kind of taking advantage a bit of their good their good nature and the fact that they're doing this not because they want to be funded to do it but because they think it's really important well let's get support into those services and i say particularly that peer-to-peer stuff getting people together i mean you know for all all the bad elements of the pandemic we we're now so much more adept at technology now i i personally i don't think i'd want to access kind of my my group work through through a screen i, I like to see people and the energy of other people but actually that might work for others too so you know let's get into those support services to try and make sure that there's a real range of things so that if you know if you've taken that really courageous first step to say that actually you've recognized a problem and that you want to do something about it um that then there's something for you that looks like you and looks like mm. something you'd access mm. and so it's a bit as i say it's a bit of demand and it's a bit of supply and we can all play a role in that but as always, you know, it does come back to the government of the day because we're all people with our our individual power, and when we come together, um, we we have a lot of collective power. But similarly, you know, the budgets are seven hundred billion pound annual operation, so we ought to be able to find our place in there for this. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, um, again, sorry to go off script. Just to let you know, I've abandoned the questions. Uh, it's just going to be a conversation <laughs> I've now. Talked, so. I've talked you out of them. Nice one, mate. Nice one. Um, I mean, the thing is, like, you look at some laws, for example, I mean, where I live here in Portsmouth, there's, um, there's an arcade around the corner, Seaside Arcade. And uh, it was just amazing that you could go down the arcade and children can bet on fruit machines, right? And I was like, okay, how do we allow this? I mean, why why is this like i don't know i'm posing it as a question rhetorical question but because i'm just so shocked like how do we as as responsible adults as a responsible country how do we allow kids to bet on fruit machines in our case why (laughs) yeah i I mean because that because i often think about this because you know i 
I'll, I'll be you know, really honest with, with you and, and with listeners, you know, I, after Gamble Aware, you know, I got some, had some people say some nice things about what I said, and then some people who really weren't happy with what I said. And, you know, whatever the rights and wrongs, that's, that's you know, that's the nature of kind of life in politics. But it, it did make me challenged to think of some about some of my perceptions and my experience with, with gambling, which starts with going to Blackpool as a kid and, you know, really as a kid and playing on those things. Mm. It starts with, you know, some of my happiest memories with my granddad. You know, I, my, my dad died when I, I was very young. So my granddad was my kind of my closest positive male role model. And a lot of those positive days were with the racing post, circling things, sometimes even putting those bets on for him. And I look back at those with, really, with real fondness. But then you think about that, there's nothing really normal about that at all. And that isn't actually the environment we want for, for young people. So you play that forwards. I think things are much better now than they were. You couldn't do, you know, you couldn't be in bookies in the same way. However, I then think about another big part of kind of my life and what I enjoy, which is playing FIFA. And then you think about FIFA Ultimate Team and you think about who plays that. And there is, you know, there's a reality as a 37-year-old who presumably, though happily you don't know this, but I presumably lose to 12 and 13-year-olds on FIFA <laughs> at times. But we're playing the same things on those packs. And that is something real, you know, that we have to get into that space. That, you know, it's, it's a really challenging one, I have to say. Mm. Um, and, you know, that, and that gets back to the point I'm making around let's look at the environment that we create and what that, what behaviors that creates in us and what that pushes us to do to try and set a safe space. I mean, I'll be the first to say, you know, I, I'm not an abolitionist, you know, I, I really not. Um, so, you know, for me, it's about trying to have a safe, the safest possible environment you can. And particularly around children and the normalization at an early age. And as mm. I say, I see it in myself, um, but I still see it around today. And those are really thorny questions that we've got to get into the evidence on you know and really you know kind of tease out where we go next because the world's moving at such quick pace mm. and you know these things explode and they're, they're things that we won't there'll be things we haven't even heard about today that in two three years will be massive things will have mm. they'll harness a new aspect of the internet uh, and you know we have to try and be agile and keep up with that in a way that doesn't just say smash the machines mm. um and that and that's your challenge really mm, mm, mm. absolutely i mean Again, stats flying around, you know, 55,000 young people aged 11 to 16 addicted, addicted to gambling. I mean, my, my, yeah. I told my girlfriend last night, I mean, she just, she was like, what, 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 you know? Um, yeah, it's, it, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. I mean, I'm a big believer in that the perception that you give or perception can create behavior and then behavior can kind of shape society. So you look, you look at that and you then like, yeah, you talk about the normalization to young people. Um, especially for like football sponsorships and gambling adverts. I mean, do you agree that they should be banned gambling adverts or sponsorship shirt sponsorships on uh, football shirts and such like? Yeah. I mean, I, we, we're still kind of doing our, our response to the gambling app review and it's more of a, it's, it's, if I'm honest, not my department because I do the public health elements of things, mm. but I think I'll be, I'll be brave enough to venture out to say that shirt sponsorship has had its day. You, I mean, it's a couple of things. One, as I say, is the constant, it's that, you know, it's that harm around children. You, you can't have children wandering around wearing gambling, you know, as walking billboards of gambling. That just, that's the sort of, you know, you always wonder, you think, what are the, you look back at things 50 years ago and think, I can't believe they ever did that. And then you think, well, I wonder what are the things we do today that we'll look back in 50 years time and think, God, I can't believe they ever did that. That's one of those things. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, 
there's a much that's an easy one frankly so i can i can make a bang tub, bang the tubs as lazy politics to a certain extent because that's so obvious we've then got a much harder question around advertising and again you know i think a lot of the stuff that's changed in the pandemic around the whistle to whistle stuff i think is really good um the question is actually i think more in the online space and that is a lot harder and because online you know adverts are incredibly sophisticated um and they're pushed to certain people at certain times in certain ways based on certain behaviors you've made in the past that's incredibly sophisticated it's not just buying up time on you know one of the tv channels it's an entirely different world mm. and how we're going to get into that in a place that protects and you know avoids harm that you know, that that for me is is the kind of biggest question coming out of both the review and, and the online harm bill that we've been waiting for three years now mm. alex again just to pick you up <laughs> just to pick you up something with a fine no, tooth comb there yeah, I, just, no. I, just, I just want to challenge you on that because i mean the whistle to whistle ban i mean that's kind of that's kind of spouted out, but I mean, I, the thing is, you, you know, the bombardment of adver advertisements on the perimeter boards, on the shirts themselves, like that can't be true. That's literally not true because it's not a whistle to whistle band because it's there during the 90 yeah. minutes. So I, I just, yeah. I, I, it, it's, it, it, yeah, it's, it's frustrating to, to, to put it mildly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, and I get that and, and, I, and I kind of accept that. Um, I, but I also do think, you know, when, when progress has been made which it has been in on elements i get it it's not not the entirety we should also take that as a good thing bank it and move on you know um and so that's kind of the point i'm making there but i, I do get it and, and that is again indicative of this kind of this broader environment that, that we live in that bombards us with messages about all sorts of things yeah no for sure i mean uh, i'd uh, going back i mean i know you said earlier for example like you don't have a big problem with say uh, you know, for example, like a gambler where, you know, being funded by the industry or, or for, in your opinion, you'd like to make it kind of independent. You don't mind it being funded by the industry and such like. I mean, I, I suppose I've still got a little bit of an issue with that, you know, the industry funding it. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that at, at, at all, really. Um, I mean, I mean, what do you make of, uh, I'm going to mispronounce his name, My, uh, the, the chap who runs or head, heads the betting game, uh, gaming council, he called Mark, Matt, Matt's our cousin uh, Roulette Boy on uh, on Twitter. Um, do you think? I mean, should this guy even be allowed anywhere near Twitter? I mean, that's. I mean, to put it mildly, I mean, should he even be in charge if he's, he's if he's sort of taunting uh, people that have had gambling addictions? Yeah, well, well, as I understand, he's apologised for that, and he he had to. You can't. As I say, it's indicative in an online conversation that gets that can get quite vicious and personal very quickly. So no, that, that sort of thing shouldn't be happening. Um, obviously, it's for the BGC and its members to say who they who they want to lead it. Um, you know, and they have. I you know I believe they've made efforts, significant efforts in the pandemic to do things differently. Now that's not to say we're not going to say we want to go further um, in in the review, but I'd rather that than an industry that was just trying to stick its fingers in the air and pretend nothing was happening. So, yeah, but I mean, I get that on the personal stuff. It's that's just as I say, mm. not not for me. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, so, uh, where am I going to go? I'm not going to look at my questions. Oh, I am looking at my questions. Um, okay, suicides. God, yeah, heavy, heavy topic. Um, so, again, research has shown that uh, gambling addicts are three to four times more likely to uh, take their own lives uh, than, and, than other addicts. How do we prevent gambling-related suicide? 
Well, I mean that you know that that is a question without a you know a single factor answer. Suicide's exceptionally complicated, um, but you know one of the kind of the, the profound sadness, as I say, in men our age. So for me, it's about you know you, you go kind of through those stages from the very biggest to the to, to the most individual, getting to an environment that means that if you choose to stop and don't want to do this anymore. You're not bombarded in a way that means that once you know that, that actually you can't escape so that that that's that's really important you then get down to kind of the to a more general level which is the the role where i think you know you come in and, and i come in and we all come in about being great mates and understanding those those changes and and not doing the whole kind of oh come on let's just have one more you know that sort of thing mm. and then down to having services that people want to access that are really great and you know the, the point you make about um the point you make about who funds that is a perfectly you know actually a perfectly valid one and one to an extent i have I've quite a bit of an agreement in we don't say that with drugs and alcohol services mm. we don't say that with services relating to healthy weight it's not paid for by a levy on industry i guess my point would be that's something that's grown historically and you can pull the pin out of that and say don't fund it but you're then back to funding it through general taxation. And I'm not sure you'd end up with more money for it. So actually, I think we might have come to a bit of a, a kind of, you know, a, 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 we found a level that perhaps you wouldn't have drawn it on a blank piece of paper, but I actually probably wouldn't mess around with it too much, my personal view. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, as I say, then you've got to have those, those services. People have got to want to use them and they've got to be as effective as possible, again, based on, you know, evidence, information and, and the best clinical outcomes mm. and that's how you set the, the best environment really to try and try and squeeze this sadness out so typical kind of human geography question that's what i studied at uh, university but is it is it is it top down or bottom up who's taking the lead on this is it the government or is it the local authorities i mean i'm a bit confused as to who's taking the lead um on on setting agendas and things like that is the from you know my my, my view is that it, on an issue of this significance, of national significance, it's to be led at a national level, you know, by the government of the day, um, for, to set the right culture, to set the right environment, and to make sure that services are funded. Now, on the other side to that, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a big kind of, I'm a, by instinct, I believe in devolution. I, you know, I'd, I'd much rather my local council did things than the, the national government did things relating to my community because they know it better than, but, but on something of this nature, I think it's so cross-cutting across communities that fundamentally it has to start at a national level. The thing for me that we're not very good at, um, whether it's about this issue or about public health issues in general, is getting the rich views and understanding of people who are experts by experience. So there's too many, and you know, I've all fallen into this category, I dare say, from time to time. There's too many politicians booting off about what their views are about things and not enough listening to people who are experts by experience about their lives and what it was. Because that, that's the thing that's, you know, really crucial. What it was that either did or didn't help them change the behaviours in the way that they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, I say this as I'm a Labour Party MP, we lose elections, you know, we've lost four in a row now. We're, we're clearly not very good at politics. I say that openly, and you know, <laughs> in, in full knowledge that this will be seen. And the thing that annoys me about that is the thing about politics is, as well as being very complicated, lots of complex issues, if you listen long enough, you stop talking for a while and listen long enough to people, they'll generally tell you what they want. 
Um, and again, I think this is the sort of issue that if we stop kind of shouting at each other at a national level and listen, listen long enough to people with experience of this, we'll get most of the answers out that way. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's that kind of uneasy mix. We've got to start at a national level because this is, this is like, you know, this is big stuff. Um, and we wouldn't, if we just said, right, we'll take a Nottingham approach to this, we won't crack it. Mm. Um, so that for me, you know, I, I think it has to start there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, what are the sort of things that you, you get kind of emailed in, um, by your constituents? Don't get much from my constituents. And I, I mean, that, that I have to, it's really important that I say that, mm. um, you know, I, I represent a, you know, one of the, the poorer constituencies in the country, a, a, an urban constituency. Um, so I, I get less volume than I would do perhaps if I was in, in perhaps one of the more affluent constituencies nearby. So I already get kind of lesser. But on, on this issue, I don't get an awful lot. Um, mm. It's only obviously when you say things nationally and obviously when, when this pop, pop, I'll know when this podcast has gone live, you don't have to tell me because then <laughs> the emails will start coming in. Um, and so that tends to be people more generally across the country with their views, which is great. As again, I, I would always want that. I'd hope, as in, I hope they will start from the fact that I'm not working in good faith, even if they think I'm wrong. Um, and I may well be wrong. But the best thing to do, if, certainly if a, if a national politician is wrong about something, is to persuade them. And, you know, I'm, I'm always up for a better argument than, a, than, than the one I've posed, if, if, you know, if, I, if I'm not right or if I've strayed too far away from the evidence. So, mm. um, so yeah, that's the sort of volume that, that, that I get from people. I mean, I sometimes feel, though not necessarily on this issue, but I sometimes feel that, and maybe this is why we lose so many elections, but we have a responsibility to disappoint people equally. You know, often on foreign policy issues, you know, I used to be a, a I used to be a spokesperson for us on, on international development issues. So whenever I talked about Israel and Palestine, I would always manage mm. to completely uh, displease both sides. And I often thought that I, I probably was in the right place at that point. Mm. Um, and you know that, but this this that's not necessarily one of those issues. But uh, I am well used to you know I've I've been a spokesperson for the Labour Party on health issues throughout a pandemic. So whenever I log off from, from that call and open my emails, I will get emails saying, half a dozen people saying, why aren't you backing the national effort more strongly? Mm. And half a dozen emails saying, we've got the biggest death toll in Europe and the worst recession. Why aren't you hitting the government harder? <laughs> and again, on, I, I feel our job is often to exist on that knife edge. Um, so again, you know, I, I, I think my lot generally is to just, I, the one thing I'd never want to do, and the one thing I kind of, again, maybe this makes me a bad politician, and never play in the galleries and just to think, well, there's a group of people there that I'm just going to say the things that they want to hear. And then I'll demonize this other group of people to, in order to get support from that group of people. Mm. And there's too much of that in politics, I think. And I don't think that that's leadership. Mm. Uh, but as I say, I'm part of a political project that loses relentlessly. So maybe, maybe <laughs> my judgment and my strategy on this stuff isn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Who knows? I mean, it's, um, yeah, who knows? I mean, it's interesting because, uh, I just think, I mean, with this, it's like, how much do you put your agenda forward or how much is there you've got to toe the party line? I mean, what is the Labour views kind of, what is the Labour kind of party line, there we go, on gambling and and, uh, preventing gambling related harm? Well, I mean, I think you'd you'd expect me to say, and and it's a bit kind of of a truism, but we want want an environment where there's less harm, you know, we don't, we're not prohibitionists, but we, we understand that 
you know, the harm is devastating to families and communities. So we don't want that to happen. I mean, you'll see when we publish our response to the, to the, to the review, you know, you'll kind of see in the nuts and bolts how we think we get to that. And I'm afraid I can't quite do the spoilers on, on that at the moment. Mm. Um, but, you know, to, to answer the first part of your question, the kind of how you formulate that, you know, it does start in your own experiences and your own views. It just inevitably does. However, you have to try and weed that out and try and kind of balance that out rather than weed that out, sorry, by the evidence. And that's by meeting with, you know, interested groups. That's by reading, you know, the academic research to try and get to a balanced point. And we all have our biases. You know, we all have our biases, Mm -hmm. uh, whether conscious or subconscious ones. And I'm always mindful of my own in that sense. Mm -hmm. So you have to try and balance that out by listening as widely as possible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's why I say yes to everything. You know, saying yes to this podcast was a very obvious thing to me because it was just, just as simple as you asked. So unless it's an obvious, clear hate platform, I will always say yes. Mm. Um, and similarly, every group that gets in touch with me, whether, and that includes the, the big companies too, if they get in touch with me, I meet with them to hear what they say. And that doesn't mean I, I go away and agree with it all, but, you know, it doesn't mean we always have easy conversations. But similarly, those organisations that are, you know, uh, activists and campaigning, I'll meet, you know, I, I always say yes. And to try and get a balanced picture. And that's mm. not to say, therefore, you just try and just try and take a bit from column A and a bit from column B and come up with something that will kind of, mm-hmm. because actually there's times when these things are fundamentally opposed to each other. And then it's, there are certain, there's times you have to come down on kind of one side of the argument. But I try and do that at the end rather than at the beginning. I think it's a better approach. Yeah, I mean, just are you okay for time? I mean, we've got a few minutes yeah, yeah, left. Yeah, um, got a few minutes left. I mean, just on that, for example, like Gambler, in the Gambler Aware conference, they said, oh, there's 340,000 people um, with gambling disorder. Yet a YouGov poll says there's 1.4 million. So it's like, is, is that because Gambler Aware have got a kind of hidden agenda there? They don't want to make the figure too big because of, you know, well, they don't I, want to bite the hand that feeds them, as it were? No, no I, I don't think that comes from a place of bad faith. I think that comes from using one particular data source. I mean, if I had my time again, I wouldn't have used that number on that day because I, I hadn't actually quite grasped just how, um, you know, how significantly contested that number is. Mm. The answer is obviously going to be on, you know, somewhere on, on, on that scale. But I don't, do I, do I think Gambleware are setting... Using, trying to use that evidence to underplay or overplay in the interest of making sure they're still funded. No, I, I fundamentally just don't believe that to be true. Mm. Um, but it is important that we have a conversation based on the evidence and that we understand that sometimes these numbers are disputed and that there's, they're, they're, I don't want to say alternative facts because that's a whole different argument, but but there is other evidence you know, available that suggests you know different things. And, and we owe it to each other to have an, an honest conversation based on that broad range of facts. No, brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so my final question is actually the first question that I started with, uh, which was, again, what do you think um, is more important to the government? Do you think it's money or do you think it's public health? Well, you know, the, as I say, I'm, I'm no supporter of this government. My job is literally to oppose them. Uh, so I, I don't think we do enough to set a to create a healthy world, which is why we have such significant disparities and inequalities in health in this country. Uh, which has shown during COVID to be devastating. You know, if you live in a poorer community, you're twice as likely to have died from COVID. If you're from a, uh, a black or Asia, particularly Pakistani or Bangladeshi background, you're 50% more likely to have died. So, you know, we, we live in an unequal country and, uh, you know, our best tools to tackle that is, is funding through public health. 
and the government have cut that every year for eight years. So it tells you, it tells you about their priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that, that's my view. But as I say, I'm an opposition politician. Of course, I, I would say that. So I would hope people would try and assemble a broad range of facts. But until we start investing in our nation's health, we're going to keep getting the health outcomes that we're getting at the moment. I think that's at least obvious. Mm. I think that's a good place to place to finish, Alex. I mean, so, I mean, is there anything else you wanted to add before we before we wrap things up? No, I mean, I, I just I hope you know you will have seen. I hope uh, listeners will have seen that I've given a pretty unvarnished account of where I am <laughs> on stuff. I know that that w- I won't always have given answers to please people, um, but we're genuinely trying to get to the best you know the best position on this. So, you know, I certainly am. So if there are things that I'm wrong on, tell me. But ideally, stop. <laughs> you don't even have to be particularly polite. Certainly, people shouldn't feel the need to be deferential. Just generally don't start with an expletive in the first sentence. I'll still read it. I do. But I just, it's just better if not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, nice gentlemanly con- uh, conduct. Yeah. <laughs> well, Alex, thank you so much for taking your time no, to come on the podcast. Um, it's, been, um, it's been insightful. Good. Uh, <laughs> that could be a dangerous euphemism, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah. No, no, no. And uh, well, I hope, well, do I hope Man City win the league? I don't know how I feel about that, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you, you guys are riding it out, right? Yeah. Well, it should be, yeah, we're, we're, we're well placed now. Yeah. Oh, we beat God. Southampton. You've got to have at least enjoyed that. <laughs> oh, yeah. The scummers, the scum. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, live in Port, I live in Portsmouth and I support Bournemouth and we both oh, yeah. hate, hate Southampton. That's the one thing in common. You definitely don't like Southampton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, Alex, thanks so much. And um, uh, great. Yeah. I will speak to you soon. Right, cheers. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Lots to take away from Alex's views. What were your thoughts? Do you agree that gambling sports sponsorship should be banned? What about the Gambling Act review? Should the government take tougher action? Let me know. Let's start a conversation. Feel free to drop me a comment on YouTube, message on social media, or get in touch confidentially with me via email info at theinvisibleaddiction.com in the final episode of the invisible addiction i'll be speaking to paul buck ceo and founder of epic risk management the world's leading independent gambling harm minimization consultancy really looking forward to hearing his story in the meantime thanks once again guys enjoy the rest of your day take care and i'll speak to you soon